All right, Ephesians. We've been in the book of Ephesians for the last uh, several weeks, and we are in Ephesians chapter 4. Now, I want to recap just a little bit. Ephesians chapter 1 through 3, uh, we talked of, about just, you know, as God's children, we have access to spiritual riches that are so massive, you can't even count them. And we talked about also how his love for us is so wide, so deep, so long, so high, that you couldn't even measure it. I mean, it just goes so far beyond our, even our own understanding. We've talked about how that we are God's workmanship, we are his masterpiece. Um, Christ has given his life for us and he's still working inside of our hearts to make us more and more like Jesus. And he makes this offer to us to offer us power that is more than we could ever ask, more than we could ever think. And he makes it available to us at any moment and in any circumstance that we may be facing. Now, Last week we talked about chapter 4, and when you get into chapter 4, you realize the Apostle Paul makes a switch. And last week Paul Richardson talked about walking in unity and how that when we use our spiritual gifts, it brings the church together and it builds up and edifies the body of Christ. And so as we get in even deeper into chapter 4, the Apostle Paul makes this plea. He, he, he makes this, he begs people, he says, listen, would you please, Christians, those of you who know Christ, he says, I beg you to live a life that is worthy of what God has done for you. In other words, walk worthy. In other words, if, you, if you're going to claim Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then live like it. Live like it. Because when you trusted Christ as your Savior, you experienced a total transformation. You became a brand new person. You were given a new life. Here's how 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 describes it. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. In other words, at the moment of your salvation experience, the old nature inside of you died. And a new nature replaced it, and you became a brand new person. You may have heard the term before, born again. That's exactly where that comes from. Now, here's a question that some of you may be asking. Okay, if, I'm, if, if, if the old man, if, if I was the old man, and the old nature, old man is gone at the moment I trusted Christ, then why do I still struggle with sin? All right, well, all the old, although the old man is gone, we're still in this epic battle with something called the flesh. And what is the flesh? The flesh is that old sin nature. The flesh is ourselves. We're, we're in a battle with ourselves. And it just continues to hang around and it continues to cause us problems. And the bad news is that for the rest of your life, you're going to be tempted to sin. And some of you may be asking, will I ever get to the place in my life when I stop sinning, when I stop being tempted to sin? And the answer is yes, when you get to heaven. All right? Now, but here's what I hope. Here's my hope for me and here's what my hope for you while we're still here on earth is that every single day you will sin less than the day before. Every single month you will sin less than the month you did before. Every single year when you evaluate your life that you will go, I'm not struggling with the same sins that I was struggling with last year. I'm growing in Christ. I'm becoming more and more like Jesus. See, here's what you have to understand. Even though you're a new person with a new nature, not only are you in this battle with yourself, this battle called the flesh, but you're also battling this culture around you that is headed in a totally opposite direction than the way Christ and God is trying to lead you. And then you have this character, this real live being called Satan who is out there trying to deceive you and to lie to you and his ultimate goal for you is to destroy you. 
Now I want you to listen to how the Apostle Paul describes his own trouble with sin in the flesh. He says in Romans chapter 7, he says, For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law. That is good. So now, so now it is no longer I who do it, but it's sin that dwells within me. Paul says, listen, there's this battle going on inside of me. And I don't want to sin. Matter of fact, I hate it, but I keep struggling with it. So here's a question. If we're going to struggle with sin and the apostle Paul himself struggled with sin, then why not just, why not just give in to it? I mean, why not just party? I mean, God forgives, right? Grace is still there. If I'm going to keep doing it, then why fight it? Why, why not just give into it? Well, if you look at the effects of sin throughout the Bible, here's what you find. A loss of joy, a loss of peace, a loss of power, a loss of direction, a loss of intimacy with God, a loss of rewards, a loss of purpose. And for some of you, sin, I want you to know, it ends up causing you to deal with consequences that will scar you for the rest of your life. See, we, we think God wants us sometimes to stop sinning because there's something out there that is, you know, that's going to bring us joy and peace and God's trying to prevent us from having all of that or to experiencing it. But that could be no further from the truth. Listen, like a loving father, God wants to protect us. He wants to protect us from being robbed of joy and happiness. He wants to protect us from those consequences of sin. And we also need to understand that God is holy. His holiness cannot coexist with sin. So if we're going to walk in fellowship with him, we need to walk in holiness. Because when we sin, we we need to understand, we need to repent and make things right as quickly as possible so we don't spend a minute, not even a moment, outside of the will of God and outside of his presence. I actually have a note, a piece of paper that is taped to the bottom of my computer screen upstairs in my office and it says this it's from Andrew Murray it says may not a single moment of my life be spent outside the light and the love and the joy of God's presence now as Paul writes in verse 17 he begins to address a problem that the church of Ephesus was dealing with it dealing with as it relates to sin the flesh the culture and the old man and the and the new man And in verse 17, here's what he says. He says, now, this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer live and walk as the Gentiles do. Well, apparently the people of Ephesus in this church, even though they they were Christians, they were trying to imitate the lifestyle of the people around them that were not Christians. And the apostle Paul says, stop. Stop trying to imitate the life of unsaved people around you. Now, when I was growing up, I remember when I was real young, I remember sitting at, at the dinner table in our house, and I would usually, I would start doing something to my dad just to irritate him, and my brother Kevin would jump in with me, and as we would do this quite often, I would look over at him, and I would start imitating everything he was doing. You ever done that, at your dad or mom? And, and then all of a sudden, I look over at my brother, he would be imitating my dad as well, and we would just for minutes or some longer, we, we would just be imitating everything my dad do. And finally he put his fork down and knife down. He goes, boys, come on, you give me a break. Come on. You know, that kind of thing. And we, we just thought it was, it was, it was great fun here. Well, imitation, this is the problem that Paul is addressing here. Too many Christians trying to copy and imitate the behavior and the lifestyle of the world. They say, what's wrong with that? Why is that such a big deal? Why, why, what's wrong with 
imitating the world. Well, it goes back to the conversation about the old man and the new man and who you used to be before you knew Christ and who you are now that you know Christ and you are in Christ. And Paul makes a case and he compares the old man with the new man. Now, I want to take a look first at the old man that so many Christians are trying to imitate today. What does, the, what does the old man actually look like in God's eyes? Where does he actually sit spiritually? Well, first of all, he is hopelessly confused. Look at verse 17. He operates in the futility of his mind, and he says, they are darkened in their understanding. Without Christ, the old man is confused. His thoughts are ineffective, and his reasoning is pointless. Why? Because he doesn't understand his true purpose and his true meaning in life. And as a result, his goals and his ambitions, his pursuits are off course because God is not the one directing his path. And so instead of believing the truth of God's word, which never changes, by the way, he embraces the latest philosophies of the world, which change all of the time. Listen, if you are truly living a life that is sold out for Jesus Christ, you are going to seem odd and strange to a non-Christian because they don't have the ability to understand the Christ-centered life because they're hopelessly confused. And so if you ever feel like you're being persecuted or non-Christians are looking at you and like, man, you're really weird, guess what? You're probably walking in the will of God. The second thing Paul says is they are closed-minded to the truth. Look at verse 18. They're alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Now I remember... When I was in high school, and I had a biology teacher who I, who I really did like a whole lot, and um, she actually professed to be a, a Christian, but we would get into the sections in biology that were just contrary to the Bible, evolution and different things, and I would just you know, raise my hand and very respectfully go, do you honestly believe this, or are you just having to teach this? And because she was so enthusiastic about the way she was teaching it, and then I would start pushing back, and eventually it was like, Brian, stop, or I'm sending you to the principal's office. But you know, I just kept talking and asking questions because it just didn't resonate with me, and I couldn't believe she was teaching it because she would say that she was one thing, but she's teaching something else. And Paul says, because the old man is separated from God, there's going to be an ignorance to truth in this life. Paul says in Romans chapter one, verse twenty-two, in professing themselves to be wise, they become fools. Now, there are a lot of really, really smart people out there. A lot of people teaching in colleges that you may be sending your kids to who are really, 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 really book smart, but in the eyes of God, they're fools. You see, truth and life go together. If you believe God's truth, you receive God's life. You say, why doesn't everybody get this? Well, because Paul talks about a hardness of heart. Some people have hardened their heart. They have rejected truth over and over and over until their hearts become hardened to the truth. And you say, how does that happen? Well, sometimes, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, it says, in their case, the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is in the image of God. And you may have been in a a conversation with someone before where you're trying desperately to explain to them salvation, how much God loves them, and it's like there's this blindfold. They just can't can't see it. It just doesn't make sense to them. Why? Hopefully confused, closed-minded to the truth. Then they're spiritually and morally callous. Verse 19, they have become callous. Paul says, these unbelieving Gentiles in Ephesus were past feeling Doing wrong no longer bothered them. They had become callous to sinful behavior. 
Now, how many of you ever had a callus on your hand before or on your foot or something like that? I was a, in high school and in college, I was a pitcher, baseball pitcher, okay? And, and usually at the beginning of a season, I would develop a callus on my middle finger. Now, I'm not going to show you that finger, but um, I would get this, and it would be very painful at the beginning of the year to the point where sometimes in the middle of a game, I would have blood coming off my hand. They would have to stop the game and this and that. And eventually, I would, I would, I would develop a callus there. Now, I want you to think for a moment about the current culture of our country. Things that even unsaved people would have said were wrong and immoral 10 years ago are embracing those things now. Five years ago, even two years ago. Why? Because, because our culture over time is becoming callous to immoral behavior. And then the Apostle Paul takes it a step further. He says, the old man has a depraved mind. Verse 19, he is greedy to practice every kind of impurity. In other words, that means they are craving things that are sexually immoral. And this is the place where you can look at porn statistics that have gone off the charts, especially, and this is alarming, with college students. Even college males, over 90% a month. This is where sex trafficking has become an epidemic in our world. I read yesterday where in Thailand, three men got married to each other. It's like, where does that stop? You see, when you have a callous, hardened heart and a depraved mind, eventually you end up with a total disregard for morality. And so you got hopelessly confused, you got closed-minded to the truth, spiritually and and morally callous, and you got this depraved man, and that's what you've got. That's the description of the old man. Look at verse 20. It says, but that's not the way you learn Christ. Paul, can you hear him saying this? That's not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you heard about him and you were taught in him as as the truth is in Christ. And Paul says, listen, stop imitating that person. That's not who you are. That's not the way of God. That's not the way of Jesus. That's not the way of the kingdom. He actually says you're better than that. You are better than that. So what does the Bible say to do with this old man? He says, put it off. Put off the old man, verse 22, to put off your old, your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, which is corrupt through its, its deceitful desires. In other words, trash it, leave it behind, kick it to the curb. Now, what does the Bible say to do with the new man? Put it on. Put on the new man, verse 24, to put on your new self. Now, what does the new man look like? Verse 24, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. In other words, we are a new creation. We have been made and created at the moment of salvation. We have been created in the image of Christ to walk in righteousness and holiness. That's our identity, a new creation. The old creation should no longer control our lives. Our lives in Christ and our actions should reflect our new identity. And if it doesn't, you are probably struggling right now with an identity crisis. You go on even further, Colossians chapter 3, Ephesians chapter 2, Romans chapter 6, I mean, talks more and more about this new person that we are. We have a new position before God. We used to be an enemy, now the Bible says we're a friend. We're a son and a daughter of God. You now have new life. You used to be spiritually dead, now you're spiritually made alive. Christ now lives in you because of Jesus. We have freedom and power over sin and death. You are a new citizen You found a new citizenship. You used to be lost, now you're found. You used to belong to the world, now you, even though you live here, you are now a citizen of heaven. And you have a new nature. 
You used to be this old person that we, used to, that we just described, but now you're a new person. And now, because you're a new person, you have a new future with new desires, a new mindset, and new thoughts. Isn't that awesome? So how do you put this on? If we're told to put it on, how do we put this on? Verse 23, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Now, the Apostle Paul, in writing to Romans, Romans chapter 12, verse 2, he says, do not be conformed to this world. In other words, stop trying to be like the world. Do not let it conform you, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that, is testing you, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, which is good, acceptable, and perfect. Now, renewing your mind is a process. And you say, how does that happen? You fill your mind with truth. And John chapter 17, verse 17 says that God's word is truth. We are made pure and holy by filling our life with truth. And so as we read God's word, we are transformed by the Holy Spirit. And this renewal leads to life change. Now, some of you in this room this afternoon or this morning, you are still operating off of lies. Lies that the culture has told you, lies that maybe some family members told you, lies that you just grew up believing. What replaces lie? A lie. Truth. What's what's the best way to battle the flesh? The truth of God's word. When Jesus was tempted by Satan, what was the the tool? What was the, the weapon that he used against Satan? He used scripture. He used God's word. And as the world pulls away world pulls away from God and pushes against the church, what is going to be our anchor and our protection? God's word. And you have to make a decision. Every single one of you, students, every single one of you in this room, you're going to have to make a decision at some point in your life whether or not you believe that this book is 100% true. It can't just be 50% because what's true, what's not. It's got to be 100% true or it's not true at all. And you have to make up your mind. And my, 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 strong, my strong plea to you is to make it up as soon as possible. See, that's how you put on the new man. You spend time daily in God's word. You spend time in prayer. You spend, spend time hanging out with other believers. Because if you don't, here's what's going to happen. You're going to get hammered. You know why? Because you're just not that good by yourself. You're just not. Apart from the power of the Holy Spirit, you're just not that strong. The stuff in the world, the flesh, Satan, way stronger than you. I'll give you just a kind of a good place to start. Bible.com, all right? Great website, all right? And there's a five-day plan on there right now called Experiencing God's Renewal. And listen, just get into it. My son Zach and I are doing it just for five days. It's a great place. If, you're, uh, if you've not been reading the Bible for a while, you don't even know where to start, it's just a great introduction. Go to Bible.com, Experiencing God's Renewal. It's a five-day plan. Sign up for it and just get into it. And then when you're done with it, get into a brand new Bible reading plan. Now, the Apostle Paul finishes off this chapter by challenging us to put on some new man behavior. And I love the fact that Paul doesn't just throw this principle at us without giving us some, uh, giving us some instruction. Paul says, he, he, Paul lays out five ways we can start walking like the new person that God's created us to be. Now, as we go through this, I want you to notice that each one of these areas that Paul addresses, he starts off with a negative, moves to a positive, and then he tells us the reason why we need to put this instruction into practice. So how should we walk like a new man? How, how do we begin to walk like this? Well, first of all, stop lying and start telling the truth. 
Verse 25, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. Now, why would Paul start off here talking about lying? Well, obviously, God puts a high value on truth, and he values the need for us to be truthful to one another. You think about the history of lying for just a moment. Satan started things off by lying to Adam and Eve about God, about his character, about his nature, about his purposes in the Garden of Eden. The first sin that was actually judged by the first church in the book of Acts, what was it? It was lying. Well, because Satan is the father of lies and the author of confusion, one of his main tools against us is to continue to lie to us. He will lie to us about God's character. There's absolutely no way that this loving God who claims to be so good could actually be allowing something like that to happen. There's no way that God, who this God who really cares about us as much as he says, there's no way he could actually allow that, that you to go through that or he could care about you that much. Listen, he'll lie about our life. He will tell you that you're a loser, that you're worthless, that you're hopeless, and that you are helpless. He'll lie to us about the world around us to go with the flow because grace will cover you because at the end of the day, you're forgiven, so just go with it. Listen, lies, I mean, they come in various forms. Exaggerations, cheating in school, lying on income tax returns, making promises that you never intended to keep, shifting blame when you know that you've done something wrong, on and on and on. And so since one of the characteristics of God is actually truth, he expects us as his followers to be people of truth. And he tells us, put away falsehoods and be truthful with your neighbor. Why? Because we are members of one another. We are members of the body of Christ. We are members of what he calls and what he created called his church. We are actually a family. Can you imagine what would happen if the brain started lying to the rest of the body? If all of a sudden, you know, it, it, our hand told us that something was hot when it was actually cold or, or our brain, you know, communicated to hand that this is really cold, but it was really, really hot. I mean, that would, that would be painful. Or imagine if, if, you're, if, if the eye told the brain that the road ahead of you was wide and straight when it was really narrow and curvy, we'd be in trouble. We would be operating unhealthy. We would be dysfunctional. Well, we can't function in a healthy manner unless we speak truth to each other, even when it's difficult. And we can't live out who we really are as, Christian, as, as new creations in Christ if lying is a part of our lives. And so the Bible says, get rid of it. Throw it off, trash it, kick it to the curb. And then it says, stop being sinful in anger and start being righteous in anger. And some of you are going, okay, Brian, I, I don't really lie, but the anger thing? Okay, now I'm listening. Verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Now, it's interesting to me that the Apostle Paul, he doesn't just say get rid of anger altogether. He actually tells us to replace one anger for another. Replace sinful anger for righteous anger. And numerous times in the Bible where we actually see Jesus getting righteously angry. He was angry with the Pharisees who gave him the business for healing a man who was crippled on the Sabbath day. We see him another time when he was angry with a bunch of money changers in the temple and he started flipping their tables over and driving them out of the temple. He was angry with righteous, with, with righteous anger when he would see helpless people, small children, who were being mistreated. You know, a few weeks ago when, when we saw, you know, on the news, a group of Islamic terrorists murdering a group of, of Egyptian cock. Coptic Christians, I mean, in Libya. You know what? When I saw that, I was righteously angry, and I hope you were too. Paul says we have to be careful with anger because if we're not careful, it can control us. 
Even righteous anger can turn into sinful anger. And when that happens, when we allow bitterness and rage and resentment to creep in our lives, what happens? We become sinful. And Paul says, don't sin in your anger. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. In other words, keep short accounts of your, of your anger. If, you, if you're angry with someone, make it right as soon as possible. If you are angry about something, don't let it build up inside of you and destroy you. Why? Because the reason is, he says, you'll give an opportunity to the devil. Now, other versions say it this way. When we allow anger to control us, when our anger becomes sinful, we open up a door to Satan. We give Satan a foothold. We, we open up a door actually to our lives. Now, if Satan senses that you have some sinful anger in your life, here's what's going to happen. He's going to pounce on that opportunity to try to get some leverage in your life. And he, listen, he will use that leverage to do some serious damage to you, to others, and to the body of Christ if you're not careful. And so Paul says, stop Stop being sinfully angry because you open up a door to the devil, to, the, to Satan. And then stop stealing and start working. Verse 28, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands. Now, there are, there are many, many ways in which people steal. Punching in a time card and then not working those hours. Manipulating your tax return so that you get something back that you don't deserve. Taking things that don't belong to us. And I know there's a lot of students in here. We live in a very, you know, world full of technology. Listen, when you pirate music, when you pirate movies, that is stealing. You say, wait a minute, Brian. I mean, it's out there. It's on the internet. It's there for the taking. Yep, and we've been called to be different. We've been called to walk worthy. Now, I could go on and on and on about how people cheat and steal, but because this is the age of technology, stealing has become almost a, a, a state of art for a lot of people. But notice the antidote to stealing. It's actually working, working for what you earn. Paul says the reason is so that you may have something to share with anyone that is in need. The reason that we're supposed to work hard is to earn a living, not just to provide for our family and not just to get wealthy, which is nothing wrong with that, but to position yourself to help other people in need. Every year, at, at, around Christmas time, right before Thanksgiving, we take up an offering in this church called the Hope Offering so that we can help people in need during Christmas. And the goal here is to work hard, to earn a living, and to be able to put money aside so that when times like that come around, you can help people who are hurting. When your next door neighbor or someone in your neighborhood or someone in your life, when they're hurting, the goal is to work hard, to earn a living, and maybe to put something aside so that you can help people who are in need. Now, as I move into this next one, it's going to seem like the Bible is meddling a little bit. But I want you to know this is serious business in God's eyes. Stop trash talking and start talking wholesome talk. Verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as it fit, as fits the occasion. Now, this same word corrupt is used in other places in the Bible. And when you see it, it's, it's talking about rotten fruit and decaying meat. So as followers of Jesus, when we use foul language or tell a dirty joke or we gossip or we slander someone, it's as repulsive in God's eyes as a rotten piece of fruit or a spoiled piece of meat. And some of you go, well, gossip, wait a minute. Isn't that like a prayer request? You tell someone, you need to pray for someone. No, that's gossip. And it's rotten. It's decaying. And where do, where do our words come from? Well, to quote Jesus in Matthew, uh, Mark chapter 12, verse 34, 
Your words are an overflow of what is in what? Your heart. And what's one way to know whether our heart is really right? If things are going well in our heart, you just listen to what's coming out of your mouth. Paul says we are called to speak words that build each other up, not tear each other down. And I believe that that applies to social media and the internet as well. Now, why? why? What's the reason for this? That it may give grace to those who hear. And so the question you have to be asking yourself is, do, do my words, whether they're spoken or printed, do they speak grace into people's lives? The Bible says that, that as a new person in Christ, our communication should be wholesome. It should be edifying. It should be encouraging. It should be different. Why? Because we are different. We are new creations. We've been given a new life. Our words should, should give grace, not kill grace. And then... Let me say this. You say, how serious of a sin is this to God? Now, there's a, there's a verse that's kind of stuck right in the middle of all of this stuff. And to be honest with you, it seems like it's almost a little bit out of place. But there's a strong reason for this verse being in here. Look at verse 30. It says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. When we choose to allow the flesh to dominate our speech or our emotions and our actions and our attitudes one one another. We're actually grieving the Holy Spirit of God. You say, what does that mean? Well, as a parent, many of us in this room, most of us in this room, we know what it feels like when our kids do something that just breaks our heart. I mean, it just saddens us. It grieves us. You don't stop being a parent, but, but you're just hurting as a parent, and that's the idea here. When we choose to sin, and then we live in it, We not only uh, uh, rob ourselves of potential power and blessing that comes from the Holy Spirit, and not only do we lose the joy of our salvation, and not only do we lose peace, but we break the heart of the one that the Bible describes as the one who is our comforter, our teacher, our helper, our advocate, the divine resident of our heart, the keeper of our salvation. And if we keep it going for too long, we can also quench the Holy Spirit's power out of our life. And then the Apostle Paul says this, He says, stop with the bitter, unforgiving attitude and start with kind, loving, forgiving attitude. Verse 31, let all bitterness and and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Now, Paul lays out this whole grocery list of sins in verse 31, but I want to say a word about bitterness for just a moment. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15 talks about a root of bitterness. And how it just springs up inside of us. And, it, and it just, it, as it springs up, it begins to cause trouble. And it talks about how that when bitterness takes root in someone's life, it begins to poison their inner being. And eventually that root, as it begins to grow, what does it do? It begins to produce fruit. And what is the fruit that it produces? Well, Paul mentions it here. He talks about anger and slander and hatred and even getting to the point of violence. And then it does something else. It begins to poison other people that it becomes in contact with until it eventually begins to tear families apart and tear relationships apart and tear neighborhoods apart and tear churches apart. And one of the saddest things to me in life is to watch a good person, a saved person, become eaten up with bitterness. And not only do you watch them slowly erode from the inside out, but you watch everything around them begin to pay, pay a price for this bitterness as well. Listen, one of the worst things that we can do for someone who is trapped in bitterness 
is to either egg it on or to encourage it or to stand by and do nothing. We are called to speak truth into each other's lives. You see, an unforgiving spirit is Satan's playground and it's not a place that you want to play. Whether it's you or whether you're dealing with someone else. If you're struggling with bitterness, Paul says, put it off, throw it away, let it go, trash it. Instead, he says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Why? Well, the obvious thing is that you're hurting yourself and you're hurting those around you. But here the Bible says that we need to let go of bitterness, unforgiveness, and anger towards someone else because God in Christ forgave you. The word forgiveness actually means to let something go, to release someone from a debt. In God's economy, the consequences of sin is death. But Jesus Christ paid for the the price for my sins with his very own life. His death provided an opportunity for me, for you, to be released from the debt of our sins, to actually be forgiven. And when I put, listen, when I put my faith and my trust in Jesus Christ to be my personal Savior, not only did the old man die and the new man come to life, but I was forgiven of my sins. You are forgiven of your sins. And not only that, because of the Holy Spirit that works inside of me, I was given the power to forgive other people who have hurt me as well. They don't have to hold anything over me because I can forgive them. Now, some of you are thinking, I don't have the power to forgive. I don't have the power to let go of anger. I I don't have the power to throw off this kind of bitterness, to be truthful, to be kind, to show love, to to, to show grace. And my thing is, yes, you do. You do have that power. As one of God's children, you have been redeemed. You have been forgiven. You have Jesus Christ living his very life inside of you through the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. And as a result of that, you're a new person. The old is dead. You've been made victorious. You've been given the power of life to live the life of the new man. And so there is nothing in this word that God calls us to do that you have not already been given the power to pull it off. But you won't do it in your own strength. It will be the power of Jesus living his life out through you through the power of the Holy Spirit. So what do I do with all of this? Throw off the old man and put on the new and start living up to your God-given potential. Stop imitating the world. Be different. Yeah, but they're gonna think I'm odd. They're gonna think I'm strange. Well, you are. The Bible says we are going to, we're, we're going to be seen that way. Peculiar people. Some of you are peculiar without Jesus. But listen, when you add Jesus, oh my goodness. We're different. And listen, the sooner that you embrace what the Bible says about you, and stop imitating all that's going on out there and stop being so worried about it. Turn off news if you need to, if it's just driving you crazy. Just turn it off and embrace who you are in Christ and then start walking worthy and experience what God has for you as a being a new person. Does that mean I'm, gonna, I'm no longer gonna struggle and suffer? No, you probably will. I think you will but we have the power of God in our life through the very person of Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of us to live everything out that God's called us to live.